Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series in the book of Romans entitled The Progress of the Gospel. Today's scripture reading is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 18 to 21, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled Finishing the Missionary Task. In the last several messages, I've been discussing the necessity of preaching the gospel. Now, if it's true that salvation from sin is not possible outside of explicit faith in Christ, and if it's true that God has opened a door of salvation to the unreached Gentiles, and if it's true that they can't believe without someone preaching to them, there is placed upon the church a divine obligation to make the gospel available to the world in a call to worldwide mission and evangelism, especially among the unreached people groups of the world. But if we're still struggling with the justice of God towards those who through no fault of their own have never heard, Paul answers some of our concerns in Romans 10, 18 to 21. He's dealing with two equivalent but equally perplexing questions. First is this, what do we make of the sad state of the Gentiles in which so many have never heard? And the second one we infrequently ask but is equally perplexing. How is it possible that Israel, with their long record of gospel proclamation, has not come to believe? Now, in a sense, Paul is asking if the gospel, that is the glad news that God in mercy has taken initiative to save hellbound sinners through the cross of his son, that if that's so, then how can it be that the gospel is not making greater progress? I mean, why is there such a phenomenon as unbelieving Israel, and why are there unreached Gentiles who have never heard? So, let's read Romans 10, 18-21. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now from that, let's start where Paul does. To what extent has the world actually heard the gospel? I find verse 18 so fascinating because on the surface of it, it seems to contradict verse 14. Verse 14 tells of Paul's urgent appeal to call out preachers to declare the gospel so that those who have never heard will hear, and verse 18 seems to say that everyone has heard that the task is done. But I ask, have they not heard? He asks in verse 18, and then Paul says, indeed they have. I mean, so which is it? Have they or have they not heard? And how, writing in AD 57, could Paul possibly write verse 18 in the first place? So several truths emerge. First of all, Paul never thought the task of gospel proclamation was done. He's not like what we now call hyper-Calvinists who argue that if God wants to save unreached peoples, well, he can do that without us. Instead, listen to what he would tell the Romans in the end of this letter. 
Romans 16, verse 20, he says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then later in verses 23 to 24 of that same chapter, he adds, But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I long for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul is saying, Spain has not heard. Neither have the lands beyond that, to say nothing of Africa, deep into Asia. So if Paul knew the task had only begun, what does he mean in verse 18? And the answer has something to do with what Paul already knew about God. In verse 18, Paul is quoting from Psalm 19, a very famous psalm. The second half of that psalm tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so the second half of the psalm is all about praising the beauty of the written revelation of God. But the psalm has two parts. And the first part of that psalm begins by telling us that the heavens declare the glory of God and that day after day and night after night, all of creation is crying out, speaking about God. Psalm 19 tells us that there is no part of the world where God has not spoken in nature. God is not silent. He's crying out to the world. What Paul means to tell us in Romans 10 verse 18 is that from one vantage point God has, without preachers and evangelists and missionaries, or without a written word, has already been speaking to every single living person on this planet. Of course, those of you who know Romans well will remember that's exactly how the book began. Paul declared through the revelation of nature that every single human being is without excuse. And what is it that everyone knows? What is the message that the ends of the earth have heard? Well, there are, in fact, from Romans 1, five very important truths that everyone already knows. In other words, if you had never had a Bible, if you had never been near a church, if you had never heard the name Jesus or had no religious upbringing whatsoever, you would still from nature know these five things. Number one, that God exists. The creation with its beauty and order speaks of the Creator. Number two, you would know that the Creator is infinitely powerful. The grandeur of nature speaks of His power. Number three, you would know intuitively that you owe the Creator an eternal debt of gratitude for every breath that you take and every good thing that you have on this earth. It is given by grace to you free of charge. You should worship your Creator. Number four, you would know that you have willfully suppressed that truth and that you are guilty of ingratitude. Like when someone saves your life, you have not returned thanks as you ought. And number five, you would know that you should seek mercy and forgiveness for your failure. So this is the message of nature, and this is the message that God has given everyone. So to what extent has the gospel been heard? Well, in verse 18, Paul says that all the world has heard that message in nature. Now, I don't mean to say, and neither does the Bible say, that the message of nature saves. In fact, it does not. In Romans 1, Paul says that every human being and every culture on earth has actively suppressed this knowledge available from nature. So natural revelation never saves anyone. Indeed, it condemns everyone. It tells the world that we are without excuse, but nature tells us that God has been speaking, and to that extent, everyone has heard. And because of that, 
God is determined that the message of Jesus be as widely heard as possible. That is, as widely heard as the message of nature. That's the point of quoting Psalm 19. As much as you can't get right with God by watching nature, you can get right with God by hearing the simple news of of Jesus Christ dying on a cross, rising again, and being proclaimed as Lord and Savior. Verse 18 declares God's intention of having the message of Christ as widely available as the message of nature. And that's why, speaking of our own country, my dream, inspired by the Bible, is that it would be impossible to live in Canada without having to decide what to do about Jesus. My prayer is that the gospel proclamation would be so widely felt in this culture that it would be impossible to grow up in this culture without being confronted by the genuine saving news of Christ dying for our sins. That's what we work for. But in this determination, as we have seen in this section from Romans 9 to 11, there's always something else that's brought to our attention. Now, I've said you can't speak of God's intention to advance the gospel without speaking about the Jews. Well, how so? What do we know from the Jews about God's determination to declare the gospel to everyone? Well, it was to Israel that the message first came. While the rest of the world had to content itself with trying to grope their way toward God, as Paul says in Acts 17, in the darkness of what they knew, Israel was a different story. They were God's chosen people. Think of what just one generation saw. The plagues against Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the appearance of God on Mount Sinai, a cloud by day and fire by night, every day, every night, man on the ground every morning, multiple miracles and pronouncements of judgment, and all of that to tell them that the shedding of blood was necessary to forgive sins and that God would send his Messiah to be their savior. There is not a nation on earth that God has so determined not to let them grope their own way, but to openly declare to them both who he was and his good news of how they could be right with him. And yet, it was Israel who not only rejected their Savior, but to this day, the majority of them stand outside of the gospel. And it is for this reason that those interested in worldwide evangelism and in the global progression of the gospel are invited to consider what God has done and is doing in Israel. Well, we'll continue with Dr. Neufeld right after this. You know, today I wanted to share with you some of the encouraging words sent to us from a listener in Ontario. And she wrote, it is absolutely refreshing to know that we have such an awesome Bible-based teacher on this side of the border. I've signed up for the daily audio mail, and words cannot express my genuine thanks. May Almighty God continue to bless and increase the work being done through Dr. Neufeld and the staff at Back to the Bible Canada. You know, we're so grateful for our listeners, supporters, and the ministry God has privileged us to be part of. But can we ask for your continued support? Your gifts are critical in sustaining this ministry and all of our ministry programs and resources. So please offer your financial support today. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. Jesus once told a parable of a mustard seed, the smallest of all the garden plants, that grow until it becomes the largest plant in the garden. 
He was describing the growth of the kingdom of God. Romans 9 to 11 describes how the gospel of Jesus Christ progresses until it would encompass the earth. Now, Paul has begun by quoting Psalm 19, in which he says that all men are without excuse. God is not unjust in dealing with those who have never heard. But then in verse 19, he turns to the question of Israel. He begins by asking a question. But I ask, did Israel not understand? See, on the one hand, it seems like a natural conclusion to come to. Perhaps Israel simply misunderstood God's revelation. Back in verse 3 of this chapter, Paul said that Israel was ignorant of the righteousness of God. It seems that, all along, Israel misunderstood the revelation that they were given. I wonder how best to explain this. Was Israel like a student in God's math class that could never quite get the hang of calculus, and so they flunked the class? Well, the answer is no. Because as Paul has shown us, the gospel message is not complicated. It's easy. But as we have seen, they stumbled over Jesus or they rejected Jesus. Jesus was pointing out their sin and need for grace, and they found him overwhelmingly offensive. The reason for Israel's ignorance of God's righteousness was not intellectual. It was moral. It was a love of human pride and a rejection of grace. Well, yes, but we're talking about the progress of the gospel, the worldwide expansion of the Christian faith. What do we learn from Israel's rejection or Israel's failure? Well, let's read verse 19 again. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Now, verse 19 is a quote from Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. The foolish nation, the no nation, the people who are groping their way in darkness, well, that's a reference to the Gentiles. These Gentiles who have no stake in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to do something for Israel. Indeed, they're going to do three things. First, they will make Israel jealous. You know, recently, one Jewish rabbi has written that if you'd ask contemporary Jews to name who the most famous Jews are that had ever lived, they will point out people like Steven Spielberg and Elie Wiesel, but will not point to a rabbi at all. But in contrast, if you ask many Christians to name the most famous Jews, well, they're going to say Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Isaiah and so forth. I recently heard a conversation between a, a young evangelical woman and a young Jewish woman, wherein the evangelical was teaching the young Jewish woman who Abraham was. She said, don't you know what God has done for your people in the past? Indeed, were it not for the Christian faith among Gentiles, the accounts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have been confined to a very small sect of people indeed. But only because of Christ and his gospel has the world heard of Abraham. And so, first, God will make Israel jealous by a foolish nation, by Gentiles. Second, God will be found by Gentiles who have never sought him. Look at verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. You know, the amazing thing in our day is that the gospel is spreading among a people who had no history in it and who were not asking for it. That was true in Paul's day, and it's true today. Today, if you have the eyes to see it, God is being found by the most unlikely people in the earth in the most incredible way. Let me give you just one example. 
In 1922, atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell traveled to China to warn the Chinese about Christian missions in China and how it would destroy their nation. And in consequence, a radical anti-Christian movement began among China's young intellectuals that led to the national persecution against Christians. By the 1940s, communism had gripped China and the government had taken an aggressive anti-Christian stance. Zhu Yongji, chairman of the Sinim Fellowship of House Church Leaders in China, wrote the following lines. He said, by 1958, the government of China had closed all visible churches. Mao's wife, Jing Qing, told foreign visitors Christianity in China has been confined to the history section of the museum. It is dead and buried. And in the 1970s, a visiting Christian delegation from the United States reported there is not a single Christian left in China. <laughs> How wrong they were. Today, the growth of the Christian movement, now well over 100 million Christians, is growing at such a massive rate that in less than 100 years, China may well be considered the world's largest Christian country. A nation that worships the God of Abraham and sees in Jesus the answer to the cry of the human heart. Now, I wish I had time to tell about Nepal and about India. But verse 20 is being played out before our eyes. God saved Gentiles who never sought him. And Israel, who is given the charge to bless the world with the gospel, is made jealous by a foolish nation. Now on to verse 21. But to Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, just so we understand verse 21, the holding out of God's hands is intended to give us a picture of a parent, maybe a father, holding out his arms when he comes home. And the kids say, Daddy's home. And they come running into his arms and he hugs them and they wrestle on the floor and he embraces them and he calls them by name. And here the picture is almost terrifying. After embracing the no nation of verse 19, God comes to his people in the person of his son, and they simply will not have him. It's a reversal of the picture of the prodigal. The father sees the son from afar, and he runs to him, and the son sees the father and turns around and will not have him. And yet look again at verse 21. God still is holding out his hands, and as we will see when we get to chapter 11, God still has a plan for Israel. So we notice first that God will make Israel jealous by a foolish people. And secondly, he will be found by those who had no history in Abraham and who didn't ask for God. Now third, God is still opening his arms to Israel and will not stop doing so. And as we move forward, we will see from the next chapter, that is chapter 11, how God will yet turn and save Israel. But before we move to chapter 11, let's summarize Romans 9 to 10. How does the gospel progress? How does it advance? First, it advances by the sovereign design of God. That's what we learned in chapter 9. Let me take you back to chapter 9, verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In other words, the advance of the message of Christ from the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago in an obscure little village of Bethlehem to today, when the sound of Christ's footsteps around the world are being heard and will be heard until the message of Jesus is heard as widely as the message from nature. This story, this amazing story of how the world is finding life in his name, this story is not about human effort. 
God, in his sovereign designs, entered a voting booth and selected not just individuals, but people from every race and tongue and language and culture and practice in government. And this gospel will continue to go on. How does the gospel go forward? Well, it's clear by God's sovereign design. But even while that's absolutely true, that's not all there is to learn. Chapter 10 tells us that the message of Jesus must be proclaimed. It's a simple message, but it needs preachers with beautiful feet, preachers who would suffer and who love the name of Jesus to go forward and proclaim it so that all can hear. See, I find it fascinating how often we have forgotten that part of the formula. It's a historical fact that the Baptist Union had told missionary Hudson Taylor not to go to China, for if God wanted to save the Chinese, he would do so by his own sovereign designs. No human response was necessary. See, they'd read Romans 9, but they'd not read Romans 10. And today, the battle for the onward progress of the gospel is taking a different approach. Rather than having theologians tell us that God can save people by his own designs, we now have a new group of theologians assuring us that those who have never heard may be saved after all, that no urgency exists at all. They say that they'll be fine. And so we see these two central truths being expressed. The gospel goes forward by God's sovereign design, yet the gospel must be preached. Men and women must hear the call and bring the message of Christ's kingdom to the very ends of the earth. Heavenly Father, I pray, as you told us to do, we pray that you would continue to raise up people who will go out into the harvest field and proclaim your gospel until all have heard. Amen. John, this has been a great message, and it's helped explain so much of what the Bible has to say about these things. Uh, But here's a question. Can we get caught up in the debate about this and uh, lose a little bit of focus on being equipped to actually preach the good news? Yeah, and I think that's exactly what's happening, Ben. And we've got individuals who are spending their whole time saying that, you know, that there's a wideness of God's mercy and that God is already saving people who will never believe in Jesus and they'll only find out they've been saved later on. Um, you know, and these things are not only unbiblical, but they're taking our eyes off of what we should be doing as a church. And what we should be doing is training every single man and woman to be able to share the gospel when the opportunity arises. And we ought to be raising up people people to do full-time work of evangelism and reaching the lost. That's our task. Now there's a great challenge. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Okay, this can be an awkward topic for many, and one for most of us is seldom discussed at all. And it's a little bit awkward for me to bring up, but I think it's important enough to take the risk. You see, I believe that God's people have an important responsibility to not just be good, but be great stewards of every resource God has blessed them with. So here I go. If the question of your estate has never been discussed, or if you haven't had the opportunity to do so confidentially with a qualified Christian estate planner you can trust, then I want to recommend the Advisors Group to you. This is a nonprofit group whose intention is to ensure that your estate is maximized and customized to your expressed wishes. 
This group is a third-party Christian advisory who have performed this service for thousands across Canada. And it's a service they're now offering to our Back to the Bible Canada audience for free. No cost, no obligation, completely confidential. So as important as this is, today is a great day to call advisors and sign up for one of their phone seminars this coming October. To learn more, call Advisors with Purpose at 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336-3315. Or check out their website at advisorswithpurpose.ca.